0: You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Welcome to Exodus Unveiled, and we are at the second Parsha in the Book of Exodus, Parsha era. And last week, at the end of the Parsha, Moshe carries out his mission from the burning bush, goes into Egypt, tells Pharaoh to let the Jewish people go, and things just get worse. Pharaoh clamps down on them the Jewish foreman complained to Moshe saying, you've just made things worse. Moshe goes to God and says, things have just gotten worse. And so we open this week's Parsha. And God is going to reassure Moshe and to reassure his promise. He reassures that he established the covenant with the patriarchs and the matriarchs and that he heard the cries of the Jewish people And he remembered the covenant and he's going to promise action. But before he does that, he says, I remember I was known to the patriarchs as El Shaddai, but my shame Hashem, my Yud Kei my four-letter name, was not known to them. Now, what is he saying to Moshe? He's saying that the patriarchs knew me as the God of creation but you and the people are going to now know me as the God of history, as the God who intervenes in the world, of the God who brings about miracles, as a God who changes the laws of nature. And all the commentaries asked, particularly Nachmanides, but the patriarchs and matriarchs had miracles happen to them. Sarah gave birth after she no longer could. And so the answer he gives is, Nachmanides says, that even though there might've been private moments where God intervened in their lives, a public display of miracles and changing the nature of the world and a public display of God's power had not happened yet in that way. And so this is what is going to change. This is what is going to be different. And God then gives a four-part promise to the Jewish people. He says And these four stages of freedom are very important because the four cups of wine at the Passover Seder are based upon these four stages of freedom. The four stages are, I will take you out from under their burdens. I will save you from their servitude. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great wonders and judgments. And I will take you to me as a people. And some of the commentators point out that each of these stages is a stage of the the unfolding of the events. I will take you out from under their burdens as after the third plague, the Jewish people no longer were in servitude. They no longer had to work, according to the rabbis. I will save you from their servitude. That is actually physically leaving Egypt. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments. That is destroying the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. You can go free, but if you can be taken back, you're not truly free. And then the final one is, I will take you to me as a people. And that is coming to Mount Sinai and God giving the Torah and saying, and I will be to you as a God. But it's actually not the final stage. Because there is a fifth term, which is, I will bring you to the land, which I promised, and I will give it to you as an inheritance. So what is that? So according to some, according to the rivad, that is the fifth cup that is on the table, which we now call the cup of Elijah. But it represents the fifth stage, which until a 100 years ago, we had not achieved returning to the land. Does that mean we should be now drinking the fifth cup? Uh, according to some, perhaps, but according to most, uh, we still have not actualized our Jewish lives and our relationship to God and our rebuilding the temple in the land. So until that happens, it's still just the fifth expression. But what's important about this is that Jewish people were being given a promise: God is going to take them out, destroy the Egyptians, create an eternal covenant, and bring them to the land. And this was the reassurance. God says to Moshe, I heard your cries. I remembered the covenant. And uh, really gives a very reassuring promise of his st- statement. But it said the Jewish people couldn't even hear because of shortness of breath and the crushing nature of their work. In other words, they were so oppressed, they couldn't even dare to dream. They couldn't even have the emotional bandwidth to think about maybe this really will happen. Maybe God really is going to save us. And remember, they had a tradition going back to Jacob that they were told they were going to be redeemed, but they couldn't react. And then God says, go back to paro Moshe, time for the next scene to open. And Moshe, as he did in the burning bush, starts to question, starts to see himself not as the right messenger. And once again, mostly uh, we view this as coming from Moshe's humility. Uh, This time God will have more patience than he did at the burning bush. And he says, um, Moshe says, if the Jewish people didn't listen to me, how will Pharaoh listen? And now we have an interesting sidebar. In a sense, a full Introduction of Moshe and Aaron. The Torah here uh, starts to list the tribes and their children, starting with Reuven and his children, Shimon and his children, Levi and his children, and then Levi's grandson Amram, Levi's great-grandchildren, Moshe and Aaron. And so uh, we have a reintroduction to them, linking them back up. And it says that Amran married Yochaved. Remember last week, it just said a man took a woman. They were anonymous. Now they are identified. Moshe is, in a sense, tied back into the Jewish priestly line and reinforcing the legitimacy of his mission. And also we're introduced to Aaron's four sons. Uh, Moshe's children have been introduced as well. Now we have Aaron's sons introduced. And here Hashem restates his mission. Moshe says again, I am of uncircumcised lips. God reassures him, Aaron will be your spokesman. And then, but he tells him that I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and then I will perform wonders for you and the Egyptians will know that I am God. And here we have really the question of why go through all of the 10 plagues? Why go through this whole long ordeal? And why didn't God just free the Jewish people immediately, which he could have done? And here we are told it's to teach a lesson to the Egyptians and to the world. Uh, Elsewhere, it'll also say, so the Jewish people will know that I am God. But here it emphasizes the lesson to the Egyptians. And the first lesson before the plagues is, Moshe goes back into the palace, takes his staff, turns it into a snake in front of Pharaoh, one of the signs that God had given him. Pharaoh then calls his magicians, necromancers, they turn their staff into a snake. We can do it too. But then Moshe's snake eats their snake. And there is really the message. Because uh, the message is that The God of Israel is the creator of the universe and has ultimate power. And the staff represents Moshe's mission as God's emissary and the power of God. And uh, the lesson is being already told to Pharaoh, this God of Israel is more powerful than you. But he's not going to learn it so quickly. So after the sign, Moshe walks out. And we're told that God, that Pharaoh's heart is heavened, is made heavy. Now, there are different terms used. And we're going to see sometimes it's just hardened. Sometimes Pharaoh hardens it, and then we'll have to address God hardening his heart. But let's just jump into the plagues. This week's Parsha will present the first seven of the plagues. And why, once again, why are the plagues brought about? So in the details of the plagues will be the message that God is the one who is controlling nature and controlling the universe. Remember, the Egyptian gods represented the forces in nature, the God of the Nile, the God of the sun. All of these are going to be overcome by the God of Israel. In the Haggadah, we have the custom to dip the ten, uh, the 10 drops of wine onto the plate, representing the 10 plagues. And as we do it, we read the plagues in two ways. The first way is in pairs. And two, 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 two. And after we enumerate all 10. And then we read them as sets of three. Each one of those shows patterns in the plagues. The sets of two represent the patterns of nature, and they show us that God was teaching them that He is master all over all of nature. Uh, one and two, the blood and the frogs, is God being master over uh, over the water. Three and four are God being master over the earth. Uh, the lice and the wild animals. Then we have God being master over uh, the light, that is pestilence and boils. Uh, Pestilence was associated with the harshness of the sun. Then we have God being master over the sky, that will be the plague of hail and locusts. And then we have God being master over the darkness, and that is the plague of darkness and the plague of the firstborn. So we're being shown that God is really master over all forces in the universe. The sets of three, which Rabbi Huda introduces them as acronyms through, through, through these sets of three. So there are different patterns of three. I will share one of them with you. Uh, the pattern is that, well, will share two. The first pattern is that God gives a warning. Moshe is sent to Paro by the river, uh, whereas he's associated with the Nile, and although it's in private, and he warns him. Then on the second plague, and the second of each cycle of three, he comes into the palace in public, he warns Paro. And on the third one, there's no warning. So there's an idea that someone is warned by two witnesses, And then they are accountable. So this pattern of three will occur three times. The second pattern of three, which occurs three times similarly, is that the first of each of the three triads, blood, wild beasts, and hail, is inconvenient. It makes you stay inside. Uh, The blood made it harder to find water, but they could find it. The second one was that it was discomfort. Uh, The frogs made them stay inside. The pestilence destroyed their animals and loss of money. The locusts destroyed their crops. So it was a discomfort, loss of money. It hit them harder. And the third, the sixth and the ninth hit hardest. That was actual physical pain brought on them. That was lice, which is not comfortable, boils, which is even worse, and darkness, not only was it dark for three days, they had to grope around like blind people, but they were frozen in place for three days. Imagine that physical discomfort. So each, all these patterns are to show that God is running the world and bringing about these plagues. Now, uh, there are some who want to try and explain the plagues according to natural means. Uh, one notably that, it was the eruption of the uh, volcano in Santorini that uh, brought this about. And um, the plague of darkness would be understood as the ashes that covered the sky, the disruption of the of frogs and lice and all of this and plagues. Uh, even the water turning to blood, they say, was... Uh, when gases are released in the water, iron gas, it makes water turn red. So the earthquake would have loosened gases that went up into the Nile. So uh, even if you look for these explanations, the timing of it, just when Moshe was confronting Paro would be very interesting. We'll talk about that with the splitting of the Red Sea as well and the timing. Now, um, the, uh, the plagues... Unfolded over 10 months. Each plague lasted a week. There was a three week break in between. And the length of time they took really emphasizes that uh, Pharaoh had time to think about it. This wasn't hitting him one after the other after the other. It was a more long, drawn out process. And that process shows us what Pharaoh was. The Zohar, the book of Kabbalah says that Pharaoh represents the Yitzhah Harah, the lower voice, represents ego, represents the need for power. And Pharaoh will not give in to Moshe. He would rather cut off his nose to spite his face. He will see his empire crumbling around him rather than concede, rather than concede to Moshe and concede to a power greater than he. And so, in a sense, this showdown is, as we said, for the Egyptians and for Pharaoh particularly to know God's power and God's uh, creating the world. So uh, with this timetable, Pharaoh really had time to see it. Now, over these seven plagues, Pharaoh is going to begin to be worn down. In the first two plagues, Pharaoh is strong. He has his own uh, sorcerers come out and recreate the plagues, but, you know, so they can make more water or so they can create more frogs. According to the rabbis, uh, they did this, but it didn't help them much. By the third, they say, in the Torah, it says, they say, this is the finger of God. Why? The rabbis explain that lice is too small for them to recreate. So they realized this was not just, Moshe wasn't just a magician. And, by the, th- the fourth plague as well, the wild animals, it says God distinguished between the Jews and the Egyptians. The wild animals did not go into Goshen. And so there, again, it was reinforced. These weren't just natural disasters or a magician creating some phenomenon. This was the God of Israel standing up for his people. And at the fourth plague, Pharaoh agrees to let the Jews go. First, he says to Moshe, let them serve God here bring offerings. And Moshe points out to him that the Egyptians wouldn't countenance this, Uh, animals were sacred for them. So then he says, let us go for three days. And Pharaoh agrees. Now, was Moshe just planning to go for three days? Is he just giving Pharaoh the impression that he is? We know that God promised he would bring the people out of Egypt to the land of Canaan. So are you allowed to misrepresent? Uh, To save your life, seemingly, yes, one would be allowed to lie here to save one's life. And uh, Jews were dying in Egypt. And we're going to see that Pharaoh, over much of it, maybe suspects the Jews might want to flee. Maybe he believes they didn't have the audacity to flee. And we'll see the problems that happen at the Red Sea. But he agrees to let them go. And then when the plagues stop, he refuses. And we're going to see several times he will give in and then just change his mind. Now by the fifth plate, it says, finally, uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And here, of course, we have the big question. How do we understand this in light of the fundamental Jewish belief in free will, which is so important because if Pharaoh is going to be held accountable and going to be punished for what he did, he needs to be it needs to be because he chose to do it. So there are many different approaches to this. Maimonides approach is this. He says that um, it's not that at every moment, every person has free will to do anything they want. It's that we make a series of decisions, and a series of decisions lead us down a path, and that path might lead us to a point where we have brought ourselves to no longer have free will. We've dug a hole so deep we cannot get out of it. So in a sense, Pharaoh's free will would have led him there, but he's now at a point where he can no longer change. Another approach is to say that God didn't let Pharaoh change his mind because we see he wasn't sincere about it. It wasn't real tshuva. It wasn't real recognition of the God of Israel. Although in the seventh plague, he says, I am guilty. And, then, and at times he will say, and God is the truth. But it's not real tshuva. That's according to Rashi. According to uh, Rav Sadyagon, very original. Uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he wouldn't have a heart attack. So they would go through the 10 tribes, the 10 uh, plagues, and the 10 ordeals, and they were meant to go through it as a punishment as well. That's another dimension to this story. Uh, according to some, God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he wouldn't have a heart attack. And, uh, or others, he hardened it because the miracles were so overwhelming that Pharaoh would have instantly given in. So God hardening his heart then restores Pharaoh's free will to make the decision. The text doesn't seem to indicate that in the language, but it is one of the approaches. So uh, by the seventh plague, as we've mentioned, Pharaoh says, I'm guilty, and he gives in. But when the plague stopped, he again, there it says he hardened his own heart and refused to let the Jews leave. So here we have it, the unfolding of the seven plagues. Why are they interrupted in the middle, which is very interesting. They're divided up into seven and three, seven in one Parsha, three in the other. And the simplest understanding would be that this Parsha is in a sense, the buildup of the confrontation between Moshe and Paro. It is uh, Paro starting to be shaken, but still seem to be very strong, Moshe taking him on. The Jewish people promised uh, promises of freedom. And next week will be the undoing of power. Next week, we'll really see him come apart and then ultimately give in. So stay tuned for that. Shabbat Shalom and have a good evening.